Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here, and I've got my preacher rag today because it's that time of year, and I haven't even had biscuits and gravy yet, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, I'm, I have the privilege today of helping us jump back into the study of 1 John that we've been doing, but before we do that, I just want to say that I had the opportunity yesterday to speak with Pastor Jeff. Um, if you are visiting or if you haven't been here in a little bit, you may not know that our lead pastor, Jeff Watts, has been on a sabbatical since the middle of July, and he'll be back in a couple of months, um, but I got a chance to talk to him yesterday for a little bit and catch up with him and see how things are going. He um, you know, indicated that he's been trying to play guitar a little bit again. Did you know at one time he was a great musician? I say it one time as though he is not anymore, but maybe he's not, and so he's getting to do that again. And he actually, yesterday was kind of a cool thing. He did a what's called an ultra marathon, which is this weird, ridiculous thing where you run as far as you can within eight hours. And I, it was like almost 30 miles. What? I, I, I get out of breath if I roll over in bed at night. <laughs> How in, the world, how in the world are you running almost 30 miles in eight hours? That's pretty impressive. So he's getting to do some stuff that, that he loves, that is refreshing and refueling to him, and we're really thankful for that. I'll say this. If you have his number, he would love to hear from you if you want to shoot him a message. If you don't have his number, I'm not going to give it to you, but if you already have his number and think of him during the week, just shoot him a text and let him know that. He would love to hear from you and Stacy has gotten a chance to take a little bit of time off with him as well and the time that she's been coming into the office she's really focused on helping get the cafe ready so that we can have some of heaven the heavenly food biscuits and gravy um, down there which is great thanks to Jim for that as well I know he's had a hand in that and we we do a lot of things with intentionality here and I, I don't want us to be mistaken that that the stuff that we do is just to have a really cool cafe. It's not about that at all. Everything we do has the intentionality of, a, of focusing on people. So that cafe is a great space to come in and grab something to drink or eat and hang out with your friends or people you don't even know yet. So we really try to focus on people and everything that we do. And one of the cool things Stacy was telling me this week that, that has given her and Pastor Jeff the the freedom to be able to step away for a little bit um, from some of their responsibilities here and to be able to rest is the fact that we have such a great team on staff here. Um, I just want to go through a quick list of some of them and, and give some praise. Like my wife, for one, I'm kind of partial to her, but she um, helps lead in our children's ministry. And, and I, I would say this even if she wasn't my wife, but she loves the kids who come in. She really does. She thinks about them when they're not. She misses your kids when they're 
not there. I don't even know if I would miss my own kids if I, I had them. She misses your kids when they're not there. She's so excited to see them. She prays for them. She really cares about them. Our church is really blessed to have her um, lead in our children's ministry. And I don't just say that because she's my wife, although brownie points are always nice. And I hope she hears this at some point. But we're going to be hiring someone to help lead in that ministry. And we'll be putting that out to the public for people to apply soon. So be in prayer for that as we're looking for someone to come alongside and help lead in that ministry because it is a big space and lots of volunteers and, and kids to care for in that. And I, I um, would be remiss if I didn't say something about one of uh, our great team members named Chris, Chris Kraus. A lot of you know him. He, he was on the video. He leads in our student ministry, our young adult ministry, the tech team, and it's like everything that he's holding on to is just because we were like, um, somebody needs to take this, and Chris just jumped in and said, I'll do it, and he's great at everything he does. I hope he doesn't hear this, so don't tell him I'm talking nice about him, because we don't do that with each other, but, but uh, I know few people with as much initiative as he has. He's a great blessing to our church. And, and one of our newest team members is Dalton Collins, who we saw on the video. And if you don't know him, you should get to know him because he's like fun personified. And just, just being around him, he's a lot of fun and he helps lead in our middle school ministry and also with students and with tech. He's our light guy today. Uh, we're going to be bringing him up on stage pretty soon just to introduce you to him and, and talk about his passion that he has for the ministries that he's in. But all that to say that Pastor Jeff and Stacy felt so good to be able to take some time and rest because we have so many good people on the team here. Um, and then there's me who just, I just come along and I'm like, hey, go do this. And then people who know what they're doing actually get stuff done. So that is really great. So um, I want to jump back into 1 John. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 John if you're not already there yet. We'll be in chapter 2 verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to put the words up on the screen. It's always weird to look over and see yourself on the screen. It's a little unnerving. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you because you don't own a Bible, we want you to have one. And so we'd love to put one in your hands. I say this every time because we really mean it. We want everybody to have a, a copy of the Bible. So before you leave today, stop at the welcome station if you don't own a Bible, and we'll put a free Bible in your hands. But the, the book of 1 John is actually a letter written by a man named John who was one of Jesus' closest friends. We, we call him one of the 12 apostles, 12 disciples. And of that group of 12 that Jesus called to himself to do ministry with him, he had three that seemed to be maybe closer than the others, who, who got to see him perform a couple different miracles than the others didn't get to see. They got to come in on, on certain moments that the others didn't get to. When he was in the garden on the night he was betrayed and arrested, he called these three with him as he went to a separate place apart from the rest to pray. And these men were Peter, James, and John, who authored this letter. Now, John, we're told from... Um, the Bible. And this, this John authored this letter, 1 John. He also authored 2 John and 3 John. And he wrote the book called John, which is just a biography. We call it the gospel of Jesus' life. It gives us a picture of who he is and, and really with the intention of teaching people about him so that they will believe in him and find salvation. And we learn from the Bible that this John is actually called the one Jesus loved. Now, 
It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the others, and it doesn't mean that he loved John necessarily more than the others, but we might say it like this, that he was Jesus's best friend while here on earth. And if you think about your best friends, and I've been talking a little bit with my two best friends this weekend. We've been friends since we were like 15 and 16, and we've seen the very best and the absolute worst of each other. And I've been talking with them a little bit this weekend as one of them is going through something and, and seeing some of the, the, the lowest part in his life. And that's really how we can describe some of our best friends, is that they can see the best of us, they can see the worst of us. If, if you wanted to get to know somebody but didn't have the opportunity to talk to that person, a good resource for information about that person would be their best friend. With our best friends, they, they, they know who we are, they know how we think, they know the experiences that we've gone through. Very oftentimes what they'll do is finish our sentences for us. Our best friends usually know us. That's who John is to Jesus. He really knows who Jesus is. Now, we throw that word know around pretty liberally, don't we? If people were to ask me if I knew many of you, I would say, absolutely, I know this person. But we wouldn't really say that we're all best friends, right? If you all count me as your best friend, I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but we wouldn't normally just say that about people that we're acquainted with. People that we're acquainted with, though, we say that we know them. But, but the question comes to mind is this, do we really know them? Do we really know who they are? We might know a few things about them. We might know where they're from. Sometimes all we know is a name of people. But we like to say that, like, I know this person. And I know many of us say that very thing about God. We love to say, I know God. I know Jesus. And I want us to, as we study the passage today, stop and consider whether the answer whether that statement for each of us is really true. And so would you join me in asking me this question of ourselves as we study today, this question, do I really know him? Do I really know God? First John chapter 2, it says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, I want to pause here on that word propitiation because we don't ever use it anywhere else. In fact, it's only found in the original language in two places in the Bible, and each place is here in the book of John. Now, it was used often in ancient Greek religions, and we'll talk just a little bit about that later. But this word propitiation is not something that is in our normal vocabulary. And so I want us to replace it in our minds for a moment until we get to explaining exactly what it is with another word. That I'll say this up front, it does not completely do it justice, but it will maybe help us take a step towards understanding what that word propitiation really means. He's the propitiation, or let's replace it with this word, he is the appeasement for our sins. He is the appeasement. If you, if you think about being upset about something and, and wanting to right a wrong and then someone does something to make that better, they appease you so that your anger is abated. So that is a, 
not the best way for us to describe this word propitiation, but it will help us get to a closer understanding of it. He is the appeasement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we have come to know that we, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to pause so that we can take a moment to let that sink in for us to consider what that really means. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. Verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. It's really heavy and it could be discouraging to us. And it could be concerning for us. Um, and so I want to pause here and pray and ask that God would help us navigate through that statement. So would you pray with me, Lord? We're so thankful that your love is so powerful that it drove you to come to this earth and take our place for our sins. Lord, we know from this passage that your goal for us is that we would not sin but that when we do, you, will, you, Jesus, will stand in our place to appease God's wrath against us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and, uh, and open up our hearts to understand more about who you are and how you love us and how you are our advocate. You're alongside of us, and you are completely for us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I really know him? Now, if I were to ask myself that question before studying this this week and coming across that verse that says, whoever says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, I would have said, yes, I know him. And, and I would probably even try to back that statement up. I know him. I, I, I have moments where I feel like I've built a history with Jesus. And what I mean by that is there have been times where I have called out to him and I, I know that he has come and helped me. There have been times where I've needed comforted and God has brought me supernatural comfort and peace. There have been times where I've needed an answer for something and God has spoken to me. And I, I don't mean that I heard him actually speak with my physical ears, that I heard a voice, but like an inward voice, a, a thought that came from out of nowhere that I know didn't come from me. Can anyone relate to that sort of thing? God's speaking to you in that way. So if you were to ask me, Joe, do you know him, I would say, yes, I know him because I can go back and look at my portfolio that shows the experiences that I've had that I do, in fact, know him. And then I'm studying this this week, and if I'm measuring whether or not I know him by the statement, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, I have to step back and say, maybe I don't know him. Because I'll be honest with you, and I bet if we were all to begin confessing to one another, we would see this, that we don't always keep his commandments. So what does this say of us? 
Now, before we go any further, I'm just going to spoil this all for you, okay? I, I believe that there are three groups of people in the room today. I believe that there are those of us who actually know God, and upon coming upon this verse, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, we feel a little bit startled and worried that maybe we don't actually know him. I, I just want to jump ahead and stop and give us peace. It, it, we, know, we know him. If we know, we know. We know. Okay, And it, it doesn't depend on whether or not we keep his commandments. And I know that seems contrary to verse 4, but we'll come back to that later. So just stick with me for a minute. And I believe that there's another group of people in the room who don't know God, and you would admit that. I don't know God. Maybe you don't even believe in him. And, and for you today, I, I would say that I hope that from this you would begin to wonder if whether or not knowing God would be a great thing for your life. And I can tell you, for me, it's been the most wonderful thing in my life. And then there are people, I believe, in the room who think they know God, but do not know him. And this is maybe the most dangerous or scary group of us, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a moment. But for us to answer the question, do I really know him? We have to ask ourselves a few other questions. And the first question would be this, is do I keep his commandments? Do I keep his commandments? Verse 3, this, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So with that metric, if I'm keeping his commandments, I must know God. Well, we have to have an understanding of what he means by his commandments because most of us probably, our mind goes to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, and we think of the Ten Commandments. We, we think of Moses going up to the mountain and God writing with his own finger on some tablets of stone and giving Moses these Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. And on through the list. Most of us would think of those things. But the difference between the commandments spoken of in the New Testament and the commandments spoken of in the Old Testament is when you really dive deep into what that means is that the Ten Commandments, and in fact all of the law of the Old Testament, was a contract between God and the nation of Israel. And so this contract that he made with him, with them was his agreement saying, if you do all of these things, I will be your God. This was the promise he made them. I'll be your God You'll be my people, and I'll live in your midst. Now, the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament is one of, at times they would obey, most of the time they would disobey. And so we find God coming along to chastise them and correct them and redirect them over and over and over again. His commandments that are spoken of in the New Testament, he's not referring to the commandments in the Old Testament because those were given as a contractual obligation to the nation of Israel. Here's how this happened. So there's a man named Moses. We maybe have heard the story. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Most of us are too young to have remembered that movie, but I've seen it and it's pretty good. Maybe you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt and, and you know this guy named Moses, who God used to rescue his people, Israel, from slavery in the land of Egypt. And the way that he did this is he sent Moses to Pharaoh, who had enslaved the nation of Israel. And Moses said to Pharaoh ten times, God says this, let my people go so they may worship me. 
10 times. He goes to him 10 times. He's rejected. God sends 10 plagues. After the 10th and final plague, Pharaoh finally relents, lets God's people go, and they go into the wilderness to worship God. This was the goal, not just that they would be set free, but that they would be set free to worship him. And they come to this mountain where God actually comes down onto this mountain. And when they get to this mountain, they see God at this mountain. And there's this cloud covering the mountain. There's fire and lightning and thunder. There's an earthquake. And you can imagine it's terrifying. It's unlike anything they've ever seen before. And they get to this mountain and they turn to Moses and they say, Moses, God is very scary. You go worship him for us. They send Moses up on the mountain in their place. You see, God's goal the whole time was relationship with them through worship. They rejected that. And so, because God still wanted relationship with them, he says to Moses, I want them to come close to me. And since they don't want to come close to me, I'm going to give you an easy way to do that. It's all of these rules. So you don't get to come close to me now and see me face to face like Moses has, God would say to the nation of Israel. He says, because you've been afraid of me, I'll give you these rules and these laws to obey. And if you obey them, he makes a contract with them. If you obey them, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And they consistently over and over and over disobey. And they become a picture to the rest of the world of what we're all like. That we consistently over and over and over disobey and sink in our own sin. The commandments that John is speaking of is not the Ten Commandments or, or the law of the Old Testament. That was a contract for the children of Israel. The commandments I believe John is speaking of has to do with the promise of the New Testament or the New Covenant that we read about in the book of Jeremiah where God said through Jeremiah, I will, I will make a new covenant with you and I'll write my law on your heart and, and, and I'll speak to you so you'll hear a voice whispering in your ear. I'll lead you on the way. The commandments I believe John is speaking of in the New Testament refer to God actually speaking to us as individuals. Now, this becomes a little trickier for us because we can't just go to a book and say, is this the right thing to do or not? It means we actually have to have a relationship with God in order to know, am I doing what Jesus did, which was only what the Father said to him to do? So we could ask ourselves this question, Instead of, do I keep his commandments, we could replace that for our understanding with this question, do I do the will of my Father in heaven? And the only way for me to know that in my own life is by getting close to him in relationship, where he does speak to us, where he does lead us. I have had moments where God has spoken to me clearly and said not to do something. And the good Christian boy that I am I disobeyed. <laughs> and guess what I found? That God was right. I could have spared myself so much heartache, so much pain, so much trouble. But because I think I know my own way, I rejected his voice. It's all of our story. We consistently do that. And I've had moments where God has said, 
do this thing or don't do this thing, and I have obeyed. And guess what? Even though it seemed crazy, it worked out. There's something about God where he just knows the best for us. Isn't that wild? Isn't that a crazy thought that we would consider that God actually knows what's best for me? The question, do I keep his commandments, is really, do I do the will of the Father? And the only way to answer that is to say yes to this question. Do I call on his name? Do I go to him in prayer? He says this in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way he walked. Ought to live the way Jesus lived, which was doing the will of the Father, which was listening to what God would say to him. Now, this word abide literally means to live or to stay with him. Now, how do we do that? We have to be careful in, in, in this because when we become a believer in Christ... When we devote our life to him and say, you, Jesus, are my savior, I need you, I trust you as the one God sent to rescue all of us from our sin, when that happens, the Bible says we are placed in Christ. Now, this is kind of a mystery to us because it doesn't give us a complete explanation of what that means, other than the fact is this, that we are in Christ. And so I like to use this illustration. So if I take my handkerchief, which is really just a paper towel, spoiler. If I take my preacher rag and I put it in my Bible and I throw my Bible on the front row, the preacher rag goes to the front row. Now, I did not throw the rag on the front row. I threw the Bible on the front row. But because the rag was in the Bible, whatever was true of the Bible in that moment became true of the rag. Does this make sense? So when the Bible says we are in Christ, what it says of us is this, that whatever is true of Christ is true of us. So when the Bible says he is righteous, that means we are righteous through him. When the Bible says he is holy, that means we are holy through him. When it says he is a child of God, it means I am a child of God through Christ because I am in Christ. Christ. But how many of us who are in Christ and know it and believe it would say that sometimes we have a hard time sticking with him throughout life? I have a hard time depending on him in moments. I have a hard time turning to him when I need direction. I have a hard time listening to him when he actually speaks to me because I'm thick skulled. Abiding in him is not the easiest thing to do. But we can become better at that as we go to him in prayer and learn to rest in him and learn to lean on him and rely on him. Do I really know him? Well, am I abiding in him? Am I staying with him? We can know for sure that we are in Christ If we can answer yes to this question, do I count myself righteous? Now, we want to be careful with that term because uh, many times we'll count ourselves righteous because we've done the right thing. Because we haven't done the wrong thing. Okay. Or, or, or because we checked all the boxes that we think exist, or, be, or because we believe we've been good enough. I read my Bible enough this week. I came to church three times last month. I actually prayed twice last week for five minutes a day. Like, I am righteous. 
And we make our righteousness based on the works that we do. That is not the righteousness that the Bible speaks of at all. That was the obligation that the nation of Israel had, that the book of Hebrews says Jesus has eradicated that obligation for us and he has actually fulfilled it on our behalf. That is what propitiation means. He fulfilled those obligations on our behalf. It's not because I'm righteous. It's not because I'm good. It's because Jesus is the appeasement for God's wrath against my sin. He did everything I could not do. Every time God spoke to him and said, do this, he did it. Every time God said, don't go there, he did not go there. He fulfilled every obligation God had for humanity. This makes him that propitiation. Now, in the ancient Greek world, when this word, which is translated propitiation, was used, it typically referred to an offering, an animal sacrifice brought to a god. One of the Greek gods that would have been angry with people because of their sin. And so all the time, constantly, people are coming to the gods because they believe they're angry. So if something went wrong in their life, they were fearful and believed that the gods were angry with them. So they would bring this propitiation to the God to make the God happy with them again. How often we do that with God our Father. We come to him over and over because we've, we've failed, because we've sinned, because we've broken a commandment, because we didn't do what he said to do, because we did something he said not to do, and we come back to him and say, I'm so sorry you're angry with me, and in fear and trembling we ask him to Forgive us. The book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly to God's throne. Do you know what that says to me? It feels like going to my mom and dad's house, which I will do after service today. And when I get there, I'm not allowed to knock on the door. And if the door is locked, I have my own key to get in. If I knock on the door at my mom and dad's house, my mom yells at me. I've got an invitation to come in boldly. Why? Because they say I belong there. That's the relationship we have with God through Jesus, our propitiation. He has made a way for us to know God, not because we're good enough, not because we haven't been bad enough, but because he was the righteous one who opened the door for us to walk in, and now we belong in God's presence because of Jesus. We're so afraid. And so we come to church on Sunday and we look at the band and we say, you worship God for me. We go to the preacher and we say, you study the Bible for me. We put no effort into actually knowing more of who God is ourselves because we're afraid to approach him because of the things that we've done when God has appeased himself through his son, Jesus, for our sake. The door to God is wide open through Jesus. This matters more than anything else. This question is, do I know that he has taken my place and counts me as righteous in spite of my own unrighteousness and sin? If I place my trust and hope in 
Jesus alone, I can say that I know him. So for the first group of people who actually do know him, but feel a little unsettled by that statement, if you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. We can rest in him knowing he has kept all of the commandments for us. He has made a way for us. Jesus is everything we need. For the group of people in the room who don't know him, and you know you don't know him, I would say this, that maybe you would consider today hearing the story of how good God is, that in spite of who we are would come and and so lavish his love on us that maybe you would turn your attention towards him. And even if you said something like this, God, I really don't believe, but if you're real, would you just show up for me? Do you know that he's very secure and he can take it when we doubt him? He is not rattled one bit when we question who he is. He is very secure in himself. And when we come to him and say, I'm not even sure this is real, he would love to show us that he is. And then for the third group, those who think they know him, but don't really, I would say this is the most dangerous group to be in. And here's why. Here's the reason why we often think we know him if we really don't. It's because this, it's because we have a list that we refer to to say, yes, I know God because I've done this or I've done this or, or I've done this. Jesus gives us this picture in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of his famous address to a group of people. You can read it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But he, he gives us this picture of people coming to him one day in, in eternity is kind of the idea. And he gives us this picture that people will come to him and say, listen, Lord, I've done so many great things for you. I've traveled the world to teach people about you. I I cast demons out with supernatural miracles. I have given so much money. I have obeyed in every circumstance. And Jesus says, I'll turn to those people and say, get away from me. I never knew you. So often our answer is, do I know God? Well, of course I know God. Look at all the things I do. That is not the gospel. It's not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is this. Do I know him? Well, of course I know him. I know that in spite of who I am and what I've done and what I will do tomorrow, Jesus is for me and has forgiven me because of his death on the cross. And I can rest in him and have a full and complete relationship with God through that. So if we're in this place where we would hold up our list and say, Jesus, look at all the things I've done for you. I would challenge all of us to crumple that up and throw it away. Do what the Bible calls repent. Change our mind about that. And let's begin to focus on what he has done for us. Here's what I found. When I focus on the things that I'm doing or not doing for him, I just do more bad things. And I do less good things. When I focus on what he has done for me and how much God loves me, what a change that makes in my life. We'll read in this book, 1 John, at some point in the weeks to come that we love him because he loved us first. 
It always goes back to that. What has Jesus done for me? And when I fully accept that and when I lean on that and, and not my, my own works, I can say I know him. He wants us to know that. Verse 1, it says this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The goal is that we won't sin. That's God's goal for us. Why? Because sin wrecks our lives. I mentioned that I've been having discussions with uh, some of my best friends through Messenger this past weekend, and one of them, both of their lives are full of pain, and one of them would say that his life is completely wrecked right now, and it all goes back to various sins that have been committed. Uh, the result of the things, the choices that he's made, the, the things that he's done, it brought him to this point in his life, and he knows it, and he sees that. This is why God says, just don't sin. It ruins your life. He knows the best way. But if anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who comes alongside of us in God's presence and says, I let this guy in here. He gets to stay because of me. The goal is that we would follow him, but the reality is we often do not. And because that is the reality, God so willingly gave his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, to meet every obligation we have. So my encouragement as I finish today before I pray is this. This question, do you really know him? He is for us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are for us. That you have met every need that we have. You have rescued us from, from sin's grip on our lives. And all we have to do is turn to you and say, Lord, we give it all to you. We let you have all of our guilt. We let you have all of our shame. We let you have all of our regrets. And we say, from now on, we'll trust you as the one who makes us right before God. Lord, the more frequently we, we try hard, the more frequently we lean on our own goodness, the more frequently we fall. Lord, help us to lean on your righteousness alone. You're the one who has given all for me. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us in the room who who uh, know you but might struggle with whether or not we do because we're worried of the things that we've done or not done. Lord, set us free. Lord, I pray for the people in the room who don't know you and would say that, that they don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to come to know you. And Lord, for those in the room who would say, I know you, but if they don't really know you, Lord, I pray that you would help them to repent and change their mind and show them who you really are and all that you've really done. Lord, we love you and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.